touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see, I have, said Luke, said Jesus, as Luke records in Luke 24:39. Let's pray and ask God to make this real to us. Father in heaven, we are considering this evening the the great glorious historical fact upon which the Christian faith either stands or falls. We ask and pray that the reality of the risen Christ might be our joy, our pleasure, our hope, and that we might encounter you through your word this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If we merely spiritualise the resurrection of the Son of God, what do I mean by spiritualise? If we merely talk about Jesus rising spiritually from the dead, which is, I would suggest, what our culture is prone to do, they might not put it in these terms, but when our culture is faced with the harshest reality of death, we say such, we, we can fall into the trap, and our culture does fall into the trap of spiritualizing these things. Like, I know my mum is still with me. And I think that the disciples were in danger of mere, merely spiritualizing the resurrection of the Son of God, because we read just in the previous verse, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Jesus had just physically appeared in the same room as them. This was the upper room. They were alone, and no, they didn't, there wasn't a knock on the door. Who's knocking at the door? And they opened the door. There was Jesus in the middle of there, right in the middle of there. And they were quite literally startled. They'd seen him die. They'd witnessed him being buried. They'd seen the spear go into his side. They'd seen literally hundreds of pounds of linen wrapped round him and laid in a tomb. And they had seen that happen. And now he stands in the midst of them. If we merely spiritualize the resurrection of the Son of God, we rob ourselves of the joy and the power of his bodily resurrection from the dead that God wants us to experience, and we rob God of his glory that has been revealed in space-time history in his word. If Jesus did not rise with flesh and bones as a real human being, eating broiled fish in the presence of other flesh and blood human beings, then, according to the Apostle Paul, our faith is useless and our preaching is in vain. If Jesus did not rise from the dead with flesh and bones, we have been fooled by a very powerful delusion and, according to the Apostle Paul, we are to be the most pitied of people on the face of the earth. But Jesus did physically rise from the dead with flesh and blood. And he was seen and touched by many first-hand eye, ear and hands eyewitnesses 
who recorded what they saw and heard and experienced in the New Testament. That's the point that the Apostle Paul makes very strongly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, particularly the first 11 verses on that great chapter on the resurrection of the Son of God in his letter to the Corinthian church. That he appeared, he appeared, he appeared. You count the number of times Paul records and names people who he appeared to. He appeared at one time to 500 at the same time. And he says, and he adds this, many of whom are still alive. So he's writing New Testament literature in the time frame of the first-hand eye and ear witnesses of of the physical appearance of the resurrection of the Son of God. So this is not myth and legend. Luke's account is not myth and legend. But my intention this evening is not to highlight the overwhelming evidence that the New Testament gives us for Jesus' bodily resurrection, but to draw out three life-transforming implications for us personally and for us as a church for our worship and our witness. And here's my thesis for this evening, if you like, or for the three points. Because Jesus has flesh and bones... I want to draw out three implications for us. It means, number one, he is Lord, therefore repent. It means he is life, therefore believe. It also means he is love, therefore rejoice. He's Lord, he's life, he's love. He is Lord... Therefore, repent. Jesus' resurrection proves he is Lord. This is a major theme. And the idea of repentance, I take not just from uh, this passage, which is included in verse 47, Jesus said, and repentance, just in the previous verse, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Verse 47, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. The Lordship of Christ is a major theme running throughout the New Testament. Here are four examples, four of many. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, all authority. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority, Lord of all. Number two, Romans 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was appointed the Son of God in power. We're going to have an election, and we're going to put a government into power. 
so-called, but the resurrection of the Son of God by the Spirit of holiness is him appointed, the Son of God, in power. He's the ultimate power in the universe. That's what the resurrection of Christ proves. Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 18. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, all rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And here's the text I just want us to focus on under this heading of He is Lord. It's on the screen behind me. It's in Acts 17, and I'll read verses 29 through 31. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent... For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is Paul preaching in Mars Hill, the Acropolis. The, the, the Mars Hill. This is the Mars Hill address in Athens that Paul is preaching on. And what the point that Paul makes is that the flesh and bones resurrection of Jesus is God proving to the world that he will judge every one of us with justice by the man he has appointed. Therefore, the resurrection from the dead of the judge of all mankind on God's set day is God commanding all people everywhere to repent. That's the point of this part of Paul's sermon in Athens. So he is Lord. What does that mean for our witness and our outreach as a church, particularly as we come up to Christmas? It means that every human being, every person we share our faith with, every person we invite to the craft evening, every person we invite to come to the Christmas services, every person we put a leaflet through their door, and every person we long to see come to know the Lord Jesus must come to terms with the reality of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That's the main point of Paul's address to the, to the unbelievers in Athens. What does that mean for us? Let me just be very particular and practical here at this particular point. It means that we must not waste our time moralizing people whose lifestyle choices offend our sensibilities. We will encounter people in our work, in our neighborhood, in our, in our schools, in our, in, in our culture, in our community, whose lifestyle choices cause us as Christians to have a big fat 
bone in our throat. And we will be so tempted to moralise them. Let me give you one example. The LGBT plus issue is a massive cultural issue in our community today. And we are running a conference in January to help us be better equipped with the gospel to face those issues. We can get really wrapped around the axle of being offended by their lifestyle choices and telling them they're wrong and miss the point that Jesus is risen from the dead and he's go- they're going to face him in the judgment. Our calling is to point them to the reality that the man Christ Jesus who died on the cross as the saviour of the world and rose bodily, physically from the dead has been appointed by God Almighty as their judge and ours too. And they must come to terms with that reality as the first and foremost issue. That's the biggest problem in their life. Not their lifestyle choices. That's secondary. It also means that we have no right to judge anybody else. And as we call people to obey God in repentance and faith, we too...
Thank you. 